Hello, James here, and welcome to the James Cast. And I've got a really special podcast for you. Back in 2012, when I was doing Get Fit Radio on Dubai Eye with Marcus Smith, we had the Wellness Brothers come on and talk about healthy eating and Lean 95 and supplements. Well, the Wellness Brothers are homeopaths. Fast forward to 2020, Dr. Jenna Burton says, Hey, James, we got to get the Wellness Brothers on the show and let's talk homeopathy. Well, Ryan Penny joins us 2020 and we talk about homeopathy. We talk about how to get our minds straight. We talk about medicine. It's really a fun conversation that I think illuminates a link, a key, a trick, a must when it comes to our mental and physical well-being. It's not just traditional medicine. It's not just doing our yoga. It's not just doing our stretching. But I think and I know that there is a place for homeopathy. And we need to be thinking a little bit more about all of these pieces, especially in this time of COVID-19. And I got to say, when Ryan talked about why he got into homeopathy and how he got into homeopathy, it made me think, COVID-19, I wonder how many of our youth and how many folks like you and me are saying, hmm, maybe it really is time for me to think of a new career. Is there ever a good time? This might be a great time to think about that. Maybe homeopathy is something you want to think about or some piece within that field. Here it is, the James cast, Ryan Penny, one half of the Wellness Brothers, and Dr. Jenna Burton. Here we go. You're going to love it. And stress is rooted in, or anxiety is rooted in uncertainty. Yeah. And that's all it and is. And that's everything me. you're describing right yeah. now. As soon as... As soon as there's uncertainty, yeah. there is anxiety. And that's it. So, so it's so it's just kind of, it's and it's, you know, so for me, it becomes every night just going, I can't control it. And just that go with there's it. a key word there. You, yeah. you, you alluded to it. It's accept. Yeah. What did we say when we were walking up? You know what? You just accept there's certain <laughs> things. Yeah. You just have to well. go. <laughs> you know what? That's what it is. Yeah. Um, I just, what's next? Yeah. And that's what you're left with. Really. So I kind of looked yeah, at it and said. Anyway, get off when you need to. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. We've got to get going on this, right? Let's get going. Do what we are we know, doing? Do we know what we're way? talking about? <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> homeopathy. <Yeah. laughs> oh, really? Look, Oi, look, okay. look, we're just talking about you guys. We're just talking about you and stuff you do. The life of Ryan. Is, yeah, the life of Ryan. Okay. Ooh, that's got a, a ring. good title. And so it's, it's just, it, it, Jenna loves to bring in guests. So this is always, cool. always good fun. <laughs> I think it's, well, medicine's such a huge topic. Absolutely. And, so James has been really into sound therapy just recently. And okay. I said, you know what we need? Some of the Wellness Brothers. And I know yeah. that's not what you guys get involved in, but it's an alternative type Absolutely. of medicine yeah. that I know yeah. that I can't comment on. So yeah. so I thought, you know, homeopathy is a big thing. Um, we've, we've had a lot of good results. My wife's had a lot of good results mm-hmm. with homeopathy. And I remember one time we were in France and her, her uh, allergies f- just went crazy in the Dordogne. And it was, it was horrible. Like yeah. it was to the point where when we came back, it was like, want to go back there? We're not going back there. Sure. 
And we ended up, because of the allergies, then something with her back started to happen, her neck, so all these things. So we ended up going to the doctor. The doctor was not only an MD, but he was a homeopath as well. So yeah. it was a combination of the two, and it, it became viable to, to stay there. And, it, and you know, it was kind of, okay, we're going to do this, but hold on, maybe you need this instead, and let's try mm -hmm. this. And, and there were a lot of, you know, they... The, the, the ideas changed as, as they were dealing with things, sure. and, you know, revisit cause we were in the area for like a month. So it was yeah. easy to go back and revisit. And it was, it was interesting. And, you know, and so playing with that, I thought, let's just talk about those kind of things and, and cool. take it down the road. And what is it? And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings when you go to the, you know, you go to the, the, the pharmacy and they've got the homeopathy area yeah, and it's like, here you yeah. go, get this and get that. And it's like, hold on, well, why are you getting that? Yeah. And I think that becomes for me mm. the real killer. Like, you know, it's like, well, it says it on the bottle. This is going to help my insomnia or this is going to help my uh, ga uh, gas, you know, reflux or I've got gas. So I'm yeah. going to, you know, that's, that's great. I think as well, some people like to link homeopathy with going to China on holiday and going to a Chinese <laughs> pharmacy and seeing some really crazy things in jars. And obviously that's totally, totally different because that's Chinese medicine and this is homeopathy, which are very different. But again, I'm not qualified enough to talk about it. So, well, so I'll tell you what, I mean, I listen to those two stories and you're right. I think there are so many misconceptions. Um, I think homeopathy at one stage was... Uh, pretty much linked with Eastern medicine, Eastern philosophy, those kinds of things, which it's not actually. Uh, it, um, if you're gonna peg it back, not that my history on the homeopathy is what it was when I was still studying, but um, <laughs> it's sort of rooted in probably mid 1700s Germany um, by a medical doctor at the time who was um, disillusioned with yeah, what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that they were probably killing more patients than, were, than what they were helping. and. Um, he actually moved away, um, Hanuman was his name, he moved away from the actual practice of medicine into translation. Okay. So he was a linguist and he started translating some of the documents and he picked up um, that there was this interesting sort of observation that certain things seem to cause symptoms and then in a sort of um, the same substance could go ahead and treat similar symptoms. And what he was looking at then was chinchona bark. So mm. that's where we get salicylic acid or aspirin. Yeah. So he made this observation, um, realized that if I give this substance, I seem to cause symptoms. And when somebody has those symptoms and I give the substance, it seems to cure it. So... That was what he based homeopathy on, which, you know, was on those observations. And he coined the phrase like cures like. So at its root, that's the idea. The idea of homeopathy, which is a component of complementary alternative medicine, is um, if I find something that causes symptoms, is there the possibility slash probability that I could treat those kinds of symptoms with that same substance, but then through a series of dilutions. And the reason being, he was saying, if I give it in its raw, natural form, sometimes it is too strong for the system to handle. So as we would do with most things, is you, you know, sort of tone it down a little. Yeah. And he went through a series, yes, there were some philosophical components to it, through a series of dilutions, and that he termed potentizing. So that's why you have homeopathics that are seemingly... You know, nothing in them. And that's the argument that you have from many people is they would say, well, it's basically just water or the lactose pill or whatever the carrier is. And um, it's true to recognize that 
when you have diluted something to a point beyond Avogadro's number, right, technically there's nothing left in the substance. And yet there are homeopaths who will say, well, we'll keep diluting because it seems to be still effective and sometimes even more so. Now, that's where I sort of draw the line. You know, Sean and I would practice what we call clinical homeopathy, which is we'd look at things from a medical perspective and say that there are certainly substances that are uh, not diluted to that particular point. But when you start looking at, you know, the levels of certain hormones or biochemicals within the systems, you know, they are in minute, minute quantities. So then the idea of giving something in a minute quantity, whether it be yeah. for an allergy for your wife or those kinds of things, it almost makes sense to think, well, maybe I can stimulate the body's natural defense mechanism because in essence, that's what your body's trying to do. You know, we talk about infections, we talk about all these kinds of things. Your body's trying desperately to survive for as long as possible. This is what it's doing. So the homeopathic idea is, can I find something that's gonna come alongside and support that process rather than block certain things or kill certain things or replace things, which is very, very much the medical sort of mindset. So the, I give that introduction, which I probably haven't done for many, many years. But it sounds like you remembered it well. So uh, yeah. probably the high points. <laughs> so so when, you, when you guys would meet in the clinic yeah. and you know, you've got complimentary patients, is, is it getting more complimentary, the medicine, the homeopaths and the doctors, or is there still the medical doctors, or is there still that barrier, a little bit of misunderstanding? I, from experience, I found that when I first started, it was definitely they were in two camps. So doctors would maybe speak ill of homeopathic doctors maybe. and potentially... <laughs> All right, it still exists in some places. And homeopathic doctors would speak of medical doctors. You make doctors. it sound like you're like ancient. You, you, no, no, but it, it, because it has. It's, started. But true, James, it has. It's been quite a recent development, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, even, if, even if you just look at back pain, it's only been within my career that now acupuncture in the NHS has been allowed for back pain, and that yeah. is an alternative therapy. So it has been quite a recent thing. And I would now say, if you meet a lot of doctors, they will have their medical spiel, but then they'll also have yeah. maybe this or the little bracket of, you know what, I don't know enough about it, but it's not going to do you any harm. Why don't you go and give it a go? Because ultimately clinical medicine has run out for things such as back pain, a lot yeah. of anxiety, um, lots of other, um, there's lots of chronic fatigue, things like this, where we, we just don't have, it's not within our remit to be able to look after it. And we don't have a magic pill that does do the blocking <laughs> or the more aggressive sort of intervention. Um, and I think a lot of doctors are becoming more curious about it, definitely. And I think the whole mindset of medicine That's has changed it. generally. You think about a typical consultant years ago, and, and again, it is within my career time, within within being a medical student, you would have a consultant who thought that they were, quite frankly, God. <laughs> yeah. You weren't allowed, James, don't take photographs. Oh, was it? Okay, okay, self-conscious. Um, yeah, they thought that they weren't allowed to be challenged. Nurses were on the ward around to run errands and things like that. Fast forward to now, the consultant is one of a team player. The nurses are able to put their input into things as are allied health professionals, such as physiotherapists, dietitians, speech and language therapists. They're really well respected. And I think now that we've got that teamwork approach, 
I think the newer generation of doctors are more open to different ideas. And I think what Ryan's saying is that homeopathy is about supporting the body to heal itself. And there's this whole new generation of medicine that's looking at wellness generally. Mm. How can you do things yourself without taking a tablet that will allow you to remain in better physical condition? And one thing I think we should clarify whilst we're talking is when I met Ryan's brother, Sean, what astounded me is that they had done equal training to us so it's I've done a five-year degree and then obviously you go on and do all your specialties and things like that but equally Ryan and Sean have done a five-year degree in homeopathy so this isn't like a day course of somebody that goes (laughs) goes over to uh you know have a little look at these little vials and looks at some herbs this is you know it's its own very unique standpoint from medicine. So, so what, Ryan, what is the kind of training? Because we'll come back to this yeah. doctor. So the, the relationship between the homeopath and the medical doctor, but also within there, it's kind of the triangle because you've got your patients, if we call them patients, absolutely, who also have gone through this whole process of growing up and visiting their pediatricians and then going through the whole course of medicine where their minds have been programmed a little bit. We've, we've been, it's been reinforced. Well, this is why you go to a doctor. This is what a doctor does. And there could be some skepticism uh, with, with homeopathy and other alternative medicines. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But so walk us through your background. How did you get, how did you get, how did you get into this field and why? Okay. Before I do that, I love what you just said there. And I just want to tie that together. Um, All of medicine, no matter which way you look at it, is a belief system. Mm. That's what it comes down to. You said you sort of program the mind. Yeah. All of medicine is a belief system. You either believe in this. Now you might have evidence for that, or you might not have evidence for that. So one of the things is very, very important to recognize it's the person as well. You know, uh, Jenna might be more open to that discussion than somebody else. So we'll come back to that. It's just as I say, each one of them is what do they hold to? So my training, my background, well, before I did homeopathy, I had no intention of doing anything. I was a footballer. <laughs> so, um, and this is back in South Africa. This is back in South Africa. So this is, uh, you know, sort of rewind 1990, 1991. And um, all I wanted to do was get to the UK and play <laughs> soccer. Okay. So um, I ended up uh, having to go via because of the South African political situation. I went, uh, I had a scholarship to go and uh, study in the States, play football in the States, in Florida. And the idea was if I could get there four years, I get one extra year, then I can maybe head to the UK and we'll see what happens from there. Well, there was a scout out who was supposed to be organizing things um, in that year, 91, 92, I think. And um, I ended up dislocating my elbow in a match. And that was pretty much the end of my football. How on earth in a football match do you dislocate your elbow? I was a goalkeeper. Right, okay. So I grabbed the ball, somebody kicked me out, I landed like that, and that was the end of my elbow. And the coach was there, the scout was there, and it was like, oh, okay, you have half a scholarship now. And my family couldn't afford at that point to go to the States. So I thought, okay, well, what am I gonna do? Now I'm thinking I can't play anymore, so maybe physio is a good idea, right? So I'm heading, thinking along those lines, and I had not been paying too much attention to academics. You know, I was just playing sport all the time. Um, Then basically, uh, I had one more year of school And uh, I listened to a talk that somebody gave on homeopathy. And I was like, that sounds really interesting to me. And I went and spoke to him afterwards. And I said to him, would you mind if I come and, you know, visit your practice? And he said, by all means. And probably the best thing that could have happened was this particular guy was very, very much medical. So homeopathy had that sort of dingy room, 
you know, involved with a couple of other things yeah. and you go to the little drawers and you I do I think you have things. to wear a cardigan as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the cardigan. Yeah. It's like being vegetarian Absolutely. years ago. Absolutely. You had to wear a cardigan. There's, there, there's a type, right? It's the, pre, it's the preconceptions, isn't it's, it? Exactly. And then you go back to the little room and you don't know what they're doing there, but you take something and maybe you there's get There's not better, much lighting. And, you know? And I went to this guy and he had like a fully stocked pharmacy and it was clean and it was clinical and his rooms were smart. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, this is actually really nice. I, I like the idea of patients walk in, patients walk out. You know, I wasn't keen on the clinical sort of emergency medicine scene, <laughs> although I love it. And my brother-in-law is a emergency or casualty specialist who when I'm with him, I love spending time, but it was like, hey, I'd like to talk to the person, we we with each other and you leave, great. So <laughs> it so happened that there was a training course that was starting the next year. For the first time, there was a degreed course wow. that was five years. And because it was just beginning, uh, it was tied in very, very strongly with what was at that particular point, one of the best medical schools in South Africa, Wits Medical School. Oh, nice. So our first two years were pretty much parallel with the dental and medical students. So we did pretty much everything that you would expect to have to do. So from anatomy and physiology and epidemiology and all the kinds of things that you'd have to be engaged in. Um, in our second year, we were still part of the group that uh, did full dissection at uh, Witz Dental School at that particular point. So again, we had all this influence from these medical professionals who were like, what are these guys doing here? They don't belong, but they're still offloading all this great information. So what ended up happening then into third year, fourth year, fifth year, we had the majority of our lecturers were medically trained teaching us, you know, pathology and going through diagnostics and everything. So our training was very, very much from a clinical medical side. And at the same time, I used to spend as much time as I could in the hospital because we were technically sort of allowed to observe. You know, they were very gracious to us. They allowed us to come and then they would give you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I also used to spend time with um, my personal GP from when I was, you know, just a kid. And he allowed me to come and spend a lot of time. And he was a real cowboy. So what he used to do in the <laughs> office. No, is, like, it, this, is this up in Pretoria, this Johannesburg? This is in Pretoria. Okay. Pretoria, Joburg area. Yeah. So I studied in Johannesburg and lived in Pretoria. So the commute was also an interesting thing. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so that was my training. And so I would sometimes sit at the back. I had some major problems with clinical or classical homeopathy, the typical homeopathy that we described. Uh, I'm like, yeah, there's certain parts of that that just don't make sense to me. Um, I don't buy the philosophy of certain other things, but I, I, I see some, I see the reason it's there is because you've got guys in the 17, 1800s, um, who are looking at things, they are getting results with their patients. They, they don't know how to explain them. So what do they start doing? They start coming up with explanations to try and, um, give some sort of insight into what's happening. So what happened was homeopathy didn't develop enough from that side. It kept the philosophies. It kept the things that in many respects the medical profession will shoot down and rightly so. The problem is this, is in so doing they threw the baby out of the bathwater. Mm. So then sort of what I was sitting by about fourth year, I'm sitting in the back of this lecture room and I'm reading update, you know, and modern medicine and I'm like, this is, makes much more sense to me. But I also realize that there are so many patients who are getting treatments they're almost violating the first law of medicine, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier. You know, um, well, if this is safe and it's not going to do no harm, and we, you know, it's not going to do any harm, and we don't have really anything else here, well, well, why don't you give it a try? In many respects, it was that sort of well. If there's a problem here that could probably be improved by lifestyle, 
of which the five most prescribed drugs, you know, you could go ahead and put them aside and get <laughs> yeah. lifestyle change. We've had these conversations about <laughs> you know, a few times. I can hear this here. Yeah. And yeah. We, we, want to, we want to come back to that. We've got to complete yeah. that circle as well. So you look at that and then I'm looking at it and saying almost from the same perspective, but from the other side saying, well, if I can change how a person thinks, eats, moves, supplements, and maybe something that's therapeutic from a complementary side that doesn't carry with it significant side effects, and I can go ahead and get an improvement and have this person take ownership of their health, then that's good medicine. So looking and seeing, okay, I identify where I draw the line in terms of what I shouldn't do, in terms of what I can't do. And that's where people like Jenna, you can step in and say, well, um, yeah, I would handle it this way. And that's where collaboration works. But that almost brings us back to where we were before. And that's going to come down to individuals. Unfortunately, much more on a person-to-person basis, mm. medical practitioner with a homeopath who are able to look at things and say, wow, that's interesting. And wow, that's outside of what I should do. And there is, now it's not a competition. No, it's, it's that's, that's, that's deep work, isn't, isn't it? Exactly. So one of the places I saw this first and foremost was when I went as a part of my fifth year, I used to spend some time in theater, in, in operating room. And I noticed that the guys who had the least issue with anything were the orthopedic surgeons because they were like, well, you can't do anything I can do. There was no threat. So they're, in, they're an interesting so as soon as, there, as soon as there's no threat, the whole dynamic were, changes. You sit around, you know, you're between patients, <laughs> you're, you're drinking tea, you're eating apples, you're watching TV, you're reading the paper and it's like, oh, come, we're up again. You know, and there was absolutely nothing. There was no issue. But the anesthesiologist, interestingly, Mm, rather keep to himself, have less of a discussion. He's more on the medical side of things, you know, start getting to the cardiologist. Mm, well, you know, now we're almost like we're sort of stepping in a similar area. And I say that with the greatest respect to the professions, but it's a matter of, um, yeah, I don't actually want to cross that bridge. And I'm not sure there's a bridge there to be crossed. So we'll just stick with what we do and we'll tolerate you for now and don't kill anybody on your on your way you know that was very much the mindset Man, that's got to be hard i mean that that just creates this tension absolutely but do you not find that in quite a lot of work roles generally oh, yeah. i mean even, 100%. even I think, uh, sorry go on James. no no keep going uh, sorry i feel awful now um even um even in i find in a private setting that that sort of thing is a lot stronger because yeah. i'm from obviously the NHS and it's a very teamwork structure and you refer, you have conversations about patients with regards to what's the optimal management, what would you do in this situation? Right. Okay, let's let's all put our heads together and think what, what would be the right thing for that particular person. And then when I got to Dubai, I was really keen to try and um, get training together. So doctors that were working in clinics that were keen to learn, let's all come together and have sort of a, a bit of a lunch, maybe once a month and share our knowledge. And it was totally shot down. <laughs> And I think people found it unusual that I was quite keen to refer out when I felt, not even when it was something out of my specialty, if I felt they would be better suited to a different style of doctor, I had no problem with referring them. And that's just from the training that I've received. Whereas people be like, now you want to try and manage them yourself and keep everything to yourself. And it's like, that's not what's right for the patient. And ultimately that's what we're here to do. Um, and so I found it quite challenging even just here. And people will often feel threatened by other doctors that come in. Whereas my mindset is that people will naturally gravitate towards the correct physician for them. And that's, mm. that's just nature. 100%. I, that is such a good observation and that's something that we sort of um, have experienced as well um, Sean I think one of his strengths my brother one of his strengths is 
He probably refers more than anybody I know. <laughs> he honestly does. He will look at you and he'll say to you, listen, I can do this and that, absolutely no question, but that thing I'm not touching. You go to so-and-so. And it's that sort of mindset. So there isn't the collaboration necessarily, but there's the recognition that, as I said, there's the line I draw, um, whether that's a legal line that's been imposed, often unfairly so in my opinion, but yeah. that's what it is, or that really is outside of my scope and something else is, somebody else is going to do a better job than me. But it's because it comes down to what you mentioned, and that is if you keep in view that the patient is the focal point, then you can have these discussions. If you go back and the issue is me and my reputation and how I'm seen, um, then the patient is a means to an end. And that's not certainly not what we want to go ahead and do. And I think that's why Sean and I have sort of withdrawn in many respects in Dubai. I mean, we, we, we keep a pretty low profile. You know, we're, we're not out there trying to do anything other than sit across the table from a person who needs help and we're eager to want to give it. So it's refreshing to hear the sort of mindset that you have. I think there are other people that feel the same way, though. Well, what what gets in the way of this more collaborative approach? I mean, it it seems like we've gone so close to, you know, as you're talking about, the the wave is there, the motivation is there. I know that there's a whole policy issue and policies, I mean, you know, public policy is is a huge conundrum globally because it does not keep up with what's going on. I think of my own country, Canada, public policy is, you know, 20, 30 years behind what's going on in any of the professions, medical through to communication, et cetera. Is, is that the, the challenge or is it, the, you know, where, where, what's the block that is not just referring, but literally having the medical doctor, the homeopathic doctor in the same place, having the same conversation at the same time? I think it depends on which region you're in. So mm-hmm. in Dubai, I don't think there's any reason why that can't occur. Sure. Uh, and as Ryan sort of alluded to before, is a lot of it is on the individual perception and also on money. You know, mm-hmm. we're in a private healthcare system, so yeah. why... Everyone needs to bill. Well, that, well, that's it. And it's like I said just a moment ago about you want to try and keep hold of your patients. You know, it's all about yeah. keeping hold of your patients. Whereas sometimes if you've got, and I mentioned it earlier, back pain, and I've given them all... I'm going up the pain chart, and I'm feeling like they're now... Get, side effects getting really bad constipation because we've got them on regular opioids they're feeling a bit woozy um they're not quite right for surgery and you know surgery is not a, a, a quick fix they will have other problems down the line maybe there's something else out there that could um mm. that could work for them and and you know would be much better to go to somebody like ryan and sean um and we've not mentioned you are the wellness brothers so we <laughs> yeah. should probably get that plug in there but but likewise in a different healthcare system like the nhs homeopathy is banned as a prescription but yet it still occurs and there's a big sort of nhs insight as to why is it still occurring probably because there are elements of it that work for general practitioners but officially it's banned and you're not allowed to make the prescription apart from the odd thing like acupuncture (laughs) which you'll now find acupuncturists in some gp surgeries so that that would be a regulatory border and the problem is that that's the policy issue right there so it's a cost again it comes back to money doesn't it it's a cost implication um i think it's a lack of understanding but the problem with doing something like that is also it stops and narrows the scope of gps generally because then they will think well if the regulatory bodies don't agree with it then obviously there's something not quite right with it or it's unsafe or and they don't necessarily go and ask the questions um Mm. that maybe they should what i love about that part is and again i mean you sum it up so well but um you look at that and you say 
is it possibly unsafe? I love it when somebody says homeopathy is potentially unsafe because they're acknowledging it must do something. Yes. So you can't have it both ways. You can't choose it's a placebo (laughs) and it's unsafe. Um, Pick one. You know, I I love that. Just love when people go that particular route because it's like, again. It legitimizes. It's suddenly about legitimation. If you tell me that it's going to do something that you might not want it to do, then you have to acknowledge there's something there that's doing something. Yeah which is great. Now you need the skill to be able to identify when do I use it and and how do I use it? And that's where the training comes in. But I think one of the biggest problems with regards homeopathy is again, um, the the bulk of homeopathy that has um, sort of presented itself or made itself known is the classical homeopathy. And again, I'm not here to shoot down classical homeopathy. I've chosen a different path because I think that there is a better system of integration with with good medical understanding with an idea that, you know what, there are some complex homeopathics that have been studied, maybe not to the same level as, you know, is required by an FDA or those kinds of things. But the reality is there are some homeopathics and there are some good double-blind placebo-controlled trials that indicate, you know, this thing really works. Mm. So it validates the concept and it then gives clarity for somebody like a GP who then doesn't necessarily have to have all the philosophy and all the understanding, but to say, you know what, Tromiel is a reasonably well-studied product, comes in a cream, comes in an, you know, an injectable form and in a tablet. And if I've got somebody with a low back pain or somebody with you know, some sort of arthritic issue, and the study suggests that after six weeks, the efficacy is similar to the use of a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory without those potential risks, then that is something that should be considered. But again, as soon as you have policy... which ironically is usually put into place for people. As soon as policy rises above people, it's lost its reason Mm. for being there. And unfortunately, that's when you say there's something 20, 30 years behind. It's because they've usually lost focus of why did we do this in the first place? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. for sure. So I want to jump back to, and and you've you've opened a nice little door there with the trauma mill and, Mm. and talking about some of these different medications and different things that homeopaths do. So there's, there's two things I wanted to touch on and we'll see which way we want to go. I'll let you pick. So the, <laughs> the first one is, is I, I think you, and, and this is more of a comment than a, than a question is that when people think homeopaths, they think it's one size fits all. When you say, Oh, I'm a doctor. It's like, Oh, are you a GP? Are you an ENT? Are you a OBGYN? Are you, and there's, you know, are you a cardiologist? Oh, I'm a surgeon. Well, which kind of surgeon are you? Right. Whereas the same thing happens with homeopaths. There's, there's a, there's a, a, a spectrum. And I think that's yep. the first problem. People don't, just don't have enough education to understand mm-hmm. that. But I, I wanted to jump in. We were talking, and you talked about back pain. Mm. And Jenna was talking about back pain and saying, okay, someone comes to me with back pain. I'm going through the pain chart, the five different things. And now I'm deciding what I'm going to give people. And, you know, there's often opioids get involved. And that sort of the, the, the sort of light bulb just went ping in my head because I'm thinking back home around the world the, the the word they use in Canada is the opioid cri- opioid crisis because of the number of people who've gone in for really simple things but need pain management they've gotten on opioids and they can't get off the opioids and at, at that point it's it's kind of like I'm saying okay hold on there are other alternatives before we go down that path that's when, again, having this complimentary conversation with the two medical professionals in the room, the homeopath and, and others, 
how how so how I wanted to talk just talk about back pain and how, how you both, yeah how do, how did both of you manage it and how could you manage it together and what would what would sort of the the thought be because I'm figuring as I'm blathering on here it, the professor in me is is going I'm figuring that that's a pretty common thing that comes a pretty common presentation that comes to you I can I can start by telling you that whenever anybody comes into a surgery with back pain, the first thing I tell them is that doctors don't manage back pain well. I need you to know that we don't manage back pain well. <laughs> do they do a Scooby-Doo hedging? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's important that they know it, and it's true, and I think it's well accepted worldwide as well, that back pain is the largest reason for people being off work. It's mm. a huge cost to um, the community generally, and also to that person, it has a huge impact on their quality of life. And what we have to, to basically offer them is, look, we can do imaging, but really we're also thinking, is that really changing the outcome? Mm. So we can offer it if we are worried that there's some red flag symptoms that there's something else going on then I have I can give you some pain relief so paracetamol pretty harmless and sage you then start looking at some stomach issues opioids you're looking at other problems such as really bad constipation it can make people feel like they're not quite with it or there you've also got problems of addiction you've got things like diazepam or the PAMs the um, benzodiazepines which are addictive very addictive in the UK we only tend to prescribe them for two weeks in Australia for back pain they're much quicker to prescribe them that can help relax the muscles but it relaxes the person affects their work quality etc and then you've got things like antidepressants such as amitriptyline which can have for back pain for back pain yeah why? So and how do the antidepressants work with the back pain? Uh, it's basically to do with all the nervous pathways. Oh, okay. I'm not, I can't remember the exact sort of pharmacology of it, but it's got something to do with how it affects the nervous pathway. And, and it's actually quite successful oh. and it's regularly prescribed. However, the reason amitriptyline um, is one of the triptylines, which we used to use for depression. And the reason we stopped is because they do have implications on cardiology. Oh. So, and yet some, for some reason, when it comes to back pain, we're quite quick to get, let's drag out the amitriptyline again. And I'm not saying, that anybody that is on these drugs should not be on them obviously it's an individual basis the thing that I'm quicker to do than offer pain relief is is, is physiotherapy so mm. like I think physiotherapy is something that's really important make sure people are moving when people have back pain it's very common to want to stay still but that's yeah. the worst thing that you can do for just sort of like a, a radiculopathy so where a nerve is trapped with a muscle you want them to keep moving a radiculopathy I've never heard that word before that's, I've that's used a, it Jason I know that's a, I think it's the second time I, and I think the first time you used that I said the same thing I've never heard that word it's, it just basically <laughs> means you've got a, a, a nerve that's coming out from your spinal cord and it's clamped on by a tight muscle mm. and if you then stop moving that muscle gets tighter and stiffer and and so the the nerve effectively becomes further and further trapped and so you get these shooting pains down your legs burning yeah. sensations etc so ultimately that's all we have last worst case scenario you can refer to surgery surgery can alleviate pain very quickly but later down the line the person is more inclined to develop arthritis and no surgery no anesthetic is without some sort of risk and I always say I've used this to you lots of times yeah, yeah. but I always use it mother nature doesn't give you anything for free if you do something to somebody there will be a problem or something else or a cost associated down whether it's now or down the line and hence why for something like back pain that we see in young people um, we see in such a large number of the population if there is something else out there why not give it a try why not refer to the wellness brothers if this is something that they are used to dealing with they have things that they can use that are without side effects because all i know is everything i've got to offer you with the the only physiotherapy being the only thing that doesn't have any side effects why would you not want to give it 
ago. It's, it's like people want to go for the quick fix. I mean, what I'm of course hearing they do. is... They're so, uh, no one's got any patience, I, James. I don't <laughs> want to work on how I'm sitting. I don't want to work on getting more exercise. I don't want to... I just... Give me the pill. Give me the pill. Is yeah. there a surgery? Is there something I can do? Which, as you said, you, you pay now or you pay later. So this is where I would refer to Ryan. And so I'm curious to know what, hmm. what Ryan does in this magical clinic of his that helps with back pain. <laughs> so let me go ahead and say, first and foremost, again, the subject, very broad, as you said. Uh, only two types of people in the world, those with back pain and those who will have back pain. There so we go. it is so common, <laughs> you know, it's so common a problem. Um, and as you alluded to, there are multiple things that could be going wrong. I mean, everything from the skin through to, you know, the muscle, through to the nerve, through to the bones themselves, the facet joints, everything. So simple low back pain is, you know, that until you've identified something more serious. So I think the way we would look at it is this. Knowing somebody would come from somewhere like Jenna, we pretty much assume that you've ruled out something more Sinister. serious okay. and that is something that is very very important from a homeopathic perspective as well um so would you in that case sorry to interrupt but in that case would you want to if they've said okay have you have you been to jenna and would you want to see any of the imagery or absolutely. anything okay absolutely. so you'd ask them for their file absolutely so in many respects you know probably 80 percent of what we're going to cover with this particular patient we're going to be looking at in the same way you know this is this person what is the nature of their pain how long has it been there what's the severity you know what's the history what do they do all, all the kinds of things that would be clinical reasoning as to trying to make sense of what the cause is if you if you understand the cause you have a much better idea of how to manage it and the simple reality is as you said you know i don't want to change my posture i don't want to go move i don't want to do those yeah. things well that's part of the reason why you have simple back pain so as you said you're either going to fix it now with some effort or you're going to suffer the consequences so in all probability if that low back pain is of an acute nature the probability is that person needs some kind of anti-inflammatory analgesic that's gonna be helpful. And then to keep them moving. So the thinking is, or certainly in years gone by was immobilize, right? Yes. Immobilize and traction. That's yeah. what you gotta do. That's the worst thing you can do. It is absolutely the worst thing you can do. I think they do. used to put people to bed years yeah, ago. Exactly, yeah. put them in bed, right? And um, oh, you, you have I a look. Imagine. So now what we would say is, listen, there's certain homeopathics that can certainly get to work both on a neurological and a muscular, uh, and an inflammatory level, okay? But we are not gonna have the kind of immediate pain relief from those meds. So in that particular situation, if the person decides, okay, this person's got no gastric history, there's no specific risk, we're gonna put them on um, brufen for seven days, 10 days, however long, sometimes 30 days, whatever they're planning on doing, and whatever the degree of other sort of pain management is, that frees us up to go ahead and help that person again from a therapeutic perspective mm. um, and also from a mindset perspective. Ours is very, very much aimed at trying to educate the person. Again, you're not happy with your back pain, yeah, because you know it's causing you all these other issues, but do you recognize that it's because you sit 14 hours a day yeah. and you, know, you haven't done the kinds of things that allow that back to function? You know, you're not doing anything to really strengthen this core. You decide to quickly pick up your child you know, the bridge between picking them up and the legs and that is not that strong. What do you think? It's, it's going to just survive? <laughs> it's going to hold? No. So a good understanding of then 
Another referral might be there to say, well, maybe a chiropractor would be useful in the situation. We, we love osteopaths. Maybe don't we? an osteopath. Yeah. Again, somebody who's going to come maybe from slightly more of a manipulative technique, although many of them will say it's not a manipulative technique. It's an adjustment. Okay, so we're going to come from the adjustment perspective. The physio is going to certainly try and you know, loosen up those muscles. We in our center, as a part of um, you know, sort of the, the homeopathic side, and that we use quite a bit of radio frequency. Uh, we've got some really, really good oh, equipment okay. to go ahead and facilitate, um, you know, just an easing of that whole section. So in so many respects, in my estimation, probably the most successful long-term management for low back pain is, again, rule out that there's nothing serious. Go ahead and try and contain the acute stage and then get them moving, strengthening what's appropriate, stretching what's appropriate and keep them going. So that would be my take on that no and i think it's a sensible one effectively what you're saying is put a band-aid plaster absolutely depending on what country you're from um <laughs> on the symptoms to effectively then try and cure them underneath which again it's, it's something that i've said in um, patients to the past when they don't want to take medications is isn't it better to take them in the short term to get yourself well i often say it with things like antidepressants when people are very against taking a tablet to make themselves feel a bit better it's like look we can get you started on psychotherapy or cbt but start the medication so at least you've got the impetus to want to try and mm. get yourself well and i think it's quite a similar approach Absolutely. And, it's, and it's sensible it's a principle in so many respects i say to a person okay so you twist your ankle and you get given a crutch is the crutch going to heal the ankle no it's going to reduce the load that allows then the body to go ahead and sort out the situation so this is exactly what we have need to look at. I, I seriously consider the, the advancement in modern medicine is in the area of diagnostics. So yeah, we can see things we couldn't see before. You know, we're able to go ahead and genuinely get an idea of, wow, this is what's happening, or wow, this is, you know, this person has severe low back pain, but the imaging doesn't support the clinical picture. Great, I'm, I'm much happier dealing with a situation like that, saying even though it's severe, mm. we've got time here. We can, we can work on these things. Where somebody else comes and says, you know, I've got this strange feeling, and the imaging says, you know what, this is a potentially a real problem. So the advancements I think that we use and lean on tremendously are the diagnostic side of medicine. But if you think about it, medicine hasn't developed lots in, line of, in terms of medicine. So in terms of prescription drugs. There's not a whole lot that's out there, whether it be antibiotic, anti-inflammatory, there's some tweaks and adjustments that have been made. But what's really come out in the last 20, 30 years? I don't know. You know, sometimes when I go back to the hospital, in fact, I, I can't even remember what it was, but I remember going, I hadn't been in the NHS for a number of years because I've been out in Dubai. And when I went back, I actually wrote a letter to the hospital saying, I bet nobody ever says good things. But I actually thought that it was advancing, maybe not in what we have available to prescribe. Prescribing I, not. I, I think in, in safety, oh, safety standards. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Standards, um, diagnostics, safety collaborations, netting. safety, yeah. patient, oh, 100%. I think they're tremendous advancement there. Well, the part I'm alluding to is, the part I'm suggesting yeah. is, you know, okay, so what, I have an antihypertensive, I have a cholesterol lowering, I have an antidepressant, you know, I have a, uh, something for reflux, I have something for, you know, inflammation, I have an antibiotic, I have a steroid. And, you know, that's not to minimize the value of every one of those drugs. Every one of those drugs is potentially beneficial when appropriately prescribed. But it's one of those where you realize, I think, that's part of why some medical practitioners are coming over. They're saying, well, you know, I've got these eight or 10 things, 12 things that I prescribe day in and day out. And, you know, it's almost like this, 
you know, I'm just doing <laughs> the same old thing. Surely there's something yeah. else here. And that's the kind of person who, again, it doesn't even have to be homeopathy. And I'm not even going to suggest it should be homeopathy, but at least think along the lines of what else could really be incorporated to support this particular patient. Maybe how they think, maybe how they eat, maybe how they move, maybe some sort of therapeutic intervention outside of a medicine, but maybe a supplement, maybe... There are so many options that are there, but it's that mindset. That's well, we, we talk a lot about lifestyle medicine, don't we, James? Yeah, because often. I think there's people are very quick to take a tablet. And I can't remember who gave the quote, but it was something about, and I know we've mentioned it before, um, about how anything that you take in a tablet form will never, ever be as good as something that you can do for yourself because yeah. the benefits will be so much greater on a much wider scale. Um, but the problem is it does require patient motivation. And oh, I know man, I used to have a clinic here and... Um, um, patients would come in and they would tell me that they wanted to make the skin better or they wanted to lose weight. So taking the latter example, and you'd say, okay, so let's discuss, you know, diet and exercise. Oh, no, no, I don't want to diet. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to exercise. No, no, yeah. no, no. Right, okay. Well, Dr. That, Roth says you don't need, you just need this thing. Well, <laughs> that, that electro belt, you put it, you want abs, put on that electro belt. <laughs> Five minutes, one time a day for two weeks, and you're going to have a six pack. Well, the thing is, is that then people end up going for things like surgery, but it's a yeah. short term thing. And then they don't like the way that their body shape falls afterwards because it affects the way that their, their figure is and how their, their fat distribution occurs later on, because ultimately they've not fixed the initial problem. Um, and, and so it can be quite difficult. And I think, as you said, then is a lot of it is about trying to get into the psychology of, of Absolutely. the patient and trying yeah. to change the way that they think. Let's not just opt straight away for statin. Let's think about our diet before we do that and let's try and let's try and give ourselves a period of time that we can try and work on your diet and of course there are some people that will still eventually need to have medical intervention because of a genetic predisposition but that is not the case for the majority of people that you see in clinic a lot of it is a lifestyle decision and and time right and i mean all i keep hearing here is we come in you know i've I've got some uh, acid reflux so i get what 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 do people get for acid reflux these days like a meprazole or an itadine or something there you go and you know you take one of those every day well if you just stopped eating the croissants or maybe you didn't eat as many grain you know the, you know have one little piece of bread coffee coffee yeah stop Smoking, drinking the, yeah, yeah alcohol cut those things back and i'm not saying get rid of them but cut them back hey like a little lifestyle change and it, it's going to work and if you do all that stuff you know what what else do people come complain about weight loss i'm trying you know i'm trying everything i can't lose yeah. weight well look at the balance of things and and people want the quick fix I, I wonder if that's just part of the way society has developed i want it now i want it fast i'm paying you the fee this is private medicine i'm paying you i want results well in many respects it'd be crazy to think that the person who's been doing the things on that basis i want it quick i want it fast and i want it you know as cheap as possible for the most part that mindset when you know it's going to carry through to the treatment as well yeah that's what they're expecting so the mindset is i i should have these things i'm entitled to these things um so why would you not be able to give it if you can't give it you're obviously behind the times so maybe one of the things that is important to recognize as well is you you mentioned it earlier certain people are going to draw certain kinds of patients when you've been in sort of homeopathic or complementary medicine for a period of time 
that's who tends to come to you. So the bulk of your patients are people who have either had experience and they are the ones who we end up having to say, you know what, you, you might need to consider something <laughs> outside. And they are like, not going to happen. And you're like, you know, uh, so it's almost like we, we're on you know, the opposite sides, picking up the extremes and trying to move them more towards the middle for their benefit. Yeah. So the, when it comes to the philosophy, a person who comes in and says, you know what, all medicine and surgery is bad and there are people who believe that it's something sean and i really really work on to help them understand listen no 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 no. there are things that are helpful and there are things that are not there are things that come at a cost and there are things that less so how do we identify instead of a sort of a missile you know prescription into this particular issue how do we look at it and say let's look at it from a three or even four dimensional perspective again Consider that you are what you do. That's a statement I have and I make all the time. You are what you do. In other words, that which you're sitting right now is more the result of how you've been living than mm. it is your genetic makeup or your gender or your age. Those are certainly components. But if you are what you do isn't true, well, then you sit with a situation saying, I have a problem because I'm male, female, this old or whatever else. What are you going to do about it? Well, there's nothing you can do about it. No, no, no. There, is, there are lots of things that you can do about it. So we come back and say, just that concept gives the person the sense that, you know what, I have a responsibility here. So as soon as you can engage the person and help them understand, you say, well, how do you motivate them? Actually, it's not that difficult. Who, who are they there for? They're there for themselves. Well, do you understand, as you say, you're going to go for this particular thing, short-term gain, long-term loss are you okay with that? The person who says yes, is well, okay. The person who says no, I say, well, are you willing to rethink it? So sometimes it's just a matter of opening that up for them, dissecting it, letting them have a look at their own situation and say, um, maybe I need to relook at this this time. Do you know, do you find that a lot of patients in Dubai, I don't know how long you guys were working in South Africa, but I find patience is a big thing in the UAE because we're so used to, look, yeah. if I'm sat at home and I suddenly decide that I would like to have avocado on toast with maybe a couple of chili flakes on top, I, I would never have the chili flakes, don't like chili, but <laughs> just if I did, I, it, within half an hour, it's on my doorstep. Yeah. Now, Deliveroo, it, you, got, you sorted, tell yeah, that guy, you sorted. If it's true, Whereas in the UK, will it be like, oh, well, the shops have shut, I'll have to wait. There's no way. Mm, I, you know, maybe I'll go and get that in for my dinner tomorrow night, for instance. Yeah. People have got no patience here. We are so used to being drip fed every single thing that we want. And we've had the conversation before about generally lifestyles not being as healthy. When I've gone to work in London or done something in London, you know, before you've even arrived at your work day, you've, you've walked a fair, a fair amount. You've been up and down stairs to get onto the tube. You've had a decent amount of mobility before you've even started whereas here you know people just go roll from the <laughs> roll from the chair into their, their uber or their car and then they roll back out and then maybe if they're lucky they have that time or they dedicate that time for themselves to go and do some exercise but they're not generally as mobile etc as day to day we, we we are so blessed here in the sense of having an exceptionally luxurious lifestyle and i think people feel that that should move over into medicine which is not mm. necessarily the right thing medicine should be a little bit more about the work you put in what is what you get out of it effectively whatever you reap you sow and it, it's so true and I've had patients come in and say right um so I've come in for some steroids and I think my words my words were um sorry was there a menu did I miss the menu somewhere like um 
And, and the point is, is look, you don't want steroids. Please let me tell you and explain why. And so much of the consultation is about understanding and educating. And I think if people understand why they should do X, Y, and Z, they might be a little bit more inclined to do it. Whereas if you just say, no, look, um, actually, you'd be better off the paracetamol today they kind of feel a bit disgruntled and hard done by. Um, and I used to say, uh, I worked in a, a clinic here where they'd have patients literally back to back to back to back to back. And I'd often say, please give me a little bit longer because I spend so long, even if I'm doing like, say, a cosmetic procedure, for instance, I spend so long managing expectations and talking to them and making sure that they understand what, what we're doing. You know, ultimately it's their body and it's them and we should dedicate that time to them. Yeah. Do you th- totally. it, it, does that become the big thing? I mean, I was, you know, I, I was always trolling your website, <laughs> thewellnessbrothers.com. It's getting thinner and thinner as you <laughs> <laughs> But, well, you know, I, I think it's to the point. And I think that's kind of the key thing. When you look at it, it, it offers the basic information you need. But I was in the store. And I was looking at some of the great things you've done with, with, you know, Lean Green and, and that sort of evolved from the yeah. first time that we, sure. we spoke. Big Actually, I, I'm going to say this here now is that oh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to pull that interview that we did because, because the, the beauty is I have them all. Oh. And, and so when we, when I left the radio, of course, I, hmm. I changed over how I cataloged everything. So I actually have a catalog of when I did all the shows because I used to keep track of them online every night. Wow. And so I just have to go back and catalog it, find out where, which one it was, and then go to the file. So I'm going to post that up with this show. As a I'll tell you what I think you're going to find. And this is something that Sean and I have held to all along. We didn't invent anything. No. We didn't, you know, discover anything. We just looked at what was there and said, yeah. what makes sense? from the medical perspective, yeah. from the complementary perspective, from people's perspective, from the circumstances. And what we found is simply this, and I would have said it then, and I'll say it again now. If you think well, if you eat well, if you move well, if you supplement appropriately, uh, if you basically smile more, drink less, smoke less, uh, you're probably going to be okay, you know? And in many respects, that hasn't changed. Yeah. It's not a magic formula, no. is it? No. So there might be an improvement on the flavor of something, right? That we were like at the beginning, doesn't matter what it tastes like. It's just all about nutrition. Well, you realize soon it, it doesn't matter what it tastes like, right? So you'll have those kinds of tweaks. You'll have sort of yeah. uh, adjustments. But the basic principles... Uh, are exactly the same as what they were then. The application, I think, has been improved upon with a better understanding of how things can be suited to the individual. You know, I'm not going to now say, yeah. you just need to move more, move more often. You know, tell me about what your day looks like. Yeah. Tell me about those kinds of things. Here's something that might be particularly helpful to you. Same principle. So I'd love to, it'd be interesting. It'd so be that'll, interesting. Be, that'll be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah. But I, I wonder where this was all leading. And when I was in looking at the store and looking at all the, some of the different things that you put together mm. and that you've got on offer, the, the reason that, and, and those are, you know, like, was it, is it called, is it still lean green or what? Lean 95. Lean 95. That's green it. drink. Yeah. Yes. The green drink that, that really was horrible tasting. It was horrendous. <laughs> I, I liked it then, but anyway, well, but you know, I, and I don't actually have an issue with it either. And I, yeah. you well, know, you I, it's better now. Yeah. And it's better now. I, I kind of have no problem with things that, that, both look horrible. And I, I have I have warned Ryan when he came in that you'd probably want to show off your juice to I him. I didn't bring one today. Oh, oh my god! Oh. Normally it's like the most. I met expectation. I was yes. looking for a broccoli <laughs> juice. 
yeah, well, you know, there's, I've, I've learned a few things you don't put in juices, by the way. And that's, that's, and, and then of course you've got to, you got to think about the number, you know, if you put too many cucumbers in, that's really a bad thing because that's a diuretic. And the next thing you know, you're looking for every washroom or anywhere that there is. So you've got to balance things. Uh, but uh, my, my favorite right now still going is my uh, baba ganoush juice, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. uh, kind of looks just like, you know, the eggplant is something that is underestimated as a wonderful juicing product. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't know anybody who juices with eggplants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, uh, eggplants so well and cranberries. You'll have to, okay. <laughs> I learn all the time. There's, there's, one. there's a time and a place for everything. And I, and I love eggplant. And when yeah, I first yeah, became vegetarian, yeah. eggplant was the only thing that was available you should, for you vegetarians. Be drinking it. No, I'm quite fine with having it from the oven. But it thank it you. does look like, you know, when we get that first rain in Dubai yes. and you get those puddles yes. with yes. the foam, it's exactly what that okay. juice looks like. So it's, oh. it's horrible looking. You know what I'm going to do? I, I'm going to stick with uh, the post-workout and the Lean 95, and I'm going to applaud you while you keep doing those things. So where this was all going before I got us well off track was the education role. Yeah. And, and you're both talking about that. And... In, in homeopathy, I, I, I want to think that there's more of an uphill task in that, sure, you've got the folks who are already have already bought in. They're always saying, you know what? Yeah, there's complimentary going on here, and I get it, yeah. and I understand it. And then you've got the folks that have gone to Jenna, and she's educating them about steroids and things and why you don't need it. And hold on, maybe there's an alternative, and you need to go visit Ryan and Sean. And when they're coming to you, it's kind of like, well, okay, well, I've heard about homeopaths. And then they're, they're yeah. going back to, oh, yeah, I watched that movie with Bruce Lee. <laughs> and they were going to the little Chinese shop. Or, oh, yeah, I've been to Thailand. And when oh. I was in Bangkok, I went by that, you know. And, and, mm. and, so the, and then how this all came in with the stores, again, I was looking at some of the new products and things that are there. And, again, it's, the, the role of education seems to really be important here. It is. Uh, so one of the ways we try and get around that, again, we accept, I think, that Sean and I are not going to be out there, you know, sort of speaking to thousands and thousands of people unless we come and join you. Um, but the idea is uh, we focus on very much a one-to-one. Um, before the COVID days, I used to have a group of between six and 12 ladies who were at a school close by to the clinic. And every Tuesday, we'd spend an hour and literally talk about any subject that they wanted to talk about. We started off with weight loss and health, and, and then it became everything, you know, teaching them how to process information. So I think one of the things Sean and I try to help people do is not say, do it this way. It's mm. how can you reason through the information in front of you? How can you go ahead and cut through the clutter, the confusion, to come up with something that says, hey, this makes sense, this is reasonable, this is safe, I can afford this, uh, this looks like it has a reasonable track record uh, of helping in a situation like mine. Uh, I'm willing to try it. So we almost want to sort of just cut as much of the junk away as possible because uh, I think that's what's causing so many problems. So the education part is yes on that sort of basis, but also one-to-one in the, in the consulting room. Sean and I spend an hour with every patient. Hmm. So that's you know, unheard Jen is, Jen of. Jen is looking respect. going on. I can see her. Yeah, Jealous, I yeah. Wish. And you know what? Envy. I so appreciate I wish. Yeah. I wish. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I was often thinking in the UK, it's crazy. They have 10 minutes for general uh, practitioners of the patient. What are you supposed to do in 10 uh, minutes? This is they barely cool. just sat down. And then and then uh, it, what you're going to get. So an hour, you're, you're really getting into it. 100%. What, yeah. what Jen is getting is the door handle sort of, oh, yeah, by the way, what do you, I, oh, I didn't mention this, but what, as they're leaving, <laughs> it's like, it's not, not so bad in Dubai, actually. You tend yeah. to get at least half 
half an hour, but I do think the luxury of having an hour with your patients. Uh-huh. And, and again, Sean and I have basically just insisted upon it. It's, I think we've been in the position to be able to say, this is, this is the way we work. Um, there are times when you don't need an hour. Mm-hmm. There are times when you can be done and dusted in 30 minutes and then you can sit and chat because in many respects, that's what it is about. You're coming alongside people. You're not yeah. dictating to people. You're not doing those kinds of things. So oftentimes, you know, it, it might just be a matter of finding out how they're doing. And you realize yeah. that there is so much that can be addressed in terms of physical health and manifestation of disease that can be just addressed by uh, just looking at a person's way of seeing the world. You know, you can come in and you feel like the world is just loading you down. And, and so we were talking say, about when we got together at the, at the very beginning yeah, of this, this absolutely. podcast. You know, and have a look at it and say, you know, what are you thankful for? It's something that I so strongly recommend people look at. And again, it's nothing new. I didn't invent it. But if you can draw on the things that work well for most people most of the time, you're going to be off, you know, off to the races. Often, as you say, like the least intervention, the better. Absolutely. Um, and why not? But you must give um, a, a nice plug to your new clinic because the, the guys <laughs> have just, what, they've yeah. just moved to a oh. brand spanking new premises. Where are you at now? Beautiful, beautiful new clinic called Bidaya, which means new beginnings in mm-hmm. Arabic. Uh, wonderful family uh, who basically was their family home from the early 80s. Uh, it was a landmark building. In fact, it's just... Uh, sort of not far off here in Jumeirah. It's a big white building opposite um, the Darwassel Center. Okay. Um, and they have been patients of ours since we came to Dubai. Um, from the dad to you know, his children who have their children who are almost having their children. Just a beautiful relationship. And, and they said to Sean and I, you know what? <clears throat> Excuse me. They said, um, why don't you use the villa? It's, it's there keep doing what you guys are doing. We want more of the of Dubai to be able to benefit from that. So they put in lots of time and lots of money to go ahead and create uh, a beautiful, beautiful setting that um, has not been without its challenges, but we are really finding our feet now. And uh, it's here, as I say, f- um, just opposite Don Russell. Uh, we've got a growing number of practitioners who are joining. Um, and our intention is pretty much, can we go ahead and really, really just help people at all those levels um, to enjoy a better quality of life. And one of the things we're turning to is an early detection, excuse me, (coughs) turning towards an early detection and prevention of disease. So I think that's a route that we'll probably head more on now, Mm, Sean especially. So important. Yeah, absolutely. So great place, lovely place to come and visit. Uh, Again, it would be great if there weren't the COVID restrictions in the sense that they could enjoy the outside, enjoy that. But hopefully that'll still come. Do you still have, I remember in the last place that you had um, like reform Pilates and I don't think you had a juice bar as well at one point. I don't know whether it was yours or whether you were just collaborators within the same space, but I wonder whether this was still something that you had. That, that was pretty much the owner of that center, her things. Um, what we have, we have like a little cafe as well, so people can get those kinds of things. Um, less on the side of the actual physical uh, training Pilates and that but a beautiful addition in terms of speech therapy, occupational therapy. So a, a whole section called Little Badaya, where they are offering um, service to, to a lot of the families who are struggling with, you know, kids with autism, speech issues, challenges. That's fantastic. So we've, yeah, very excited uh, about that. that they, they were really an existing group that saw what we were doing and, and joined. So I think they add uh, a, a really, really good dimension to something I think is 
desperately needed in Dubai. Mm. Yeah, I, I still want to have a whole conversation about radiotherapy, but I know you've got to get back to work, and, we, <laughs> and I and, and only because that fits right in with my sound therapy stuff that I've been doing, oh, which, yeah, which okay. is purely for relaxation. It's and it's. I mean, I've got to say, just like going to osteopaths and using things, I'm like, I was the biggest naysayer for years, years. I, it's like, oh, you just got to go see this. No, until one day you went. Well, what happened is I was going to physio. And I'd been to the physio like 12 times yeah. and I, you know, I couldn't lift my shoulder up past here, I was swimming. I was getting this big pain. So she was working it. And then uh, one day she comes and she's wearing, she says, how's it going? I said, I, honestly, I think it's getting worse. Mm. She's going, you know what? You got to go see down the hall, make an appointment, go see this osteo. And I did and fixed it in, you know, loosen this up one treatment. Yep. And he's kind of going, yeah, you should have come to me. 20 treatments ago. Yeah, osteopaths are wonderful. And, and, and the best part was, is it, there, was it, there was no, you know, sometimes I think it's kind of like a Cairo, right? There's a little bit of, there was none of that. There was yeah. no, it was just doing this, you know, doing that, yeah. doing this. And it was suddenly like, oh. And, and Hang on, you went to the osteopath and you didn't experience the click. No, no. <laughs> oh my God, that's like a serious anticlimax. I, I have been in other times when they've, they've done things, but not kind of like a chiropractor where they kind of go... <laughs> not one of those it was more of a subtle movement okay i'm gonna move you way back and then yeah as they're doing that you kind of feel things go oh so you had you had the mini click yeah. i was gonna say i mean i know often they, they're not into as you say more of the chiropractic type clicking clicking yeah. but i do feel a great sense of disappointment <laughs> if i walk out and i've not i've not felt that big click um because you're like you're, you're dreading it i don't know about you but i sit there dreading it and then when it happens it's like oh wow actually it didn't hurt and it feels great <laughs> But the sound stuff is has been the biggest revelation for me, just in in relaxation and things that, and it's it's bizarre. We've got we've got to ask Ryan's opinion on this because everyone has a line. For yeah. me, I, I, as I say, why not do it if it helps yeah. make you feel relaxed? But it kind of feel, falls just past my line of yeah. of something that I can totally totally get behind. Um, as a physician but yeah. as I say again you're doing it you like it why not James and so I'm now really curious I'm going to put him in the spotlight how he feels oh, happy to be put on the spot not in the spotlight <laughs> <laughs> um, the way we would go ahead and do I would address a question like this because this is the kind of thing that come up yeah. you know in, in those group settings the first thing I would say is what well, what are we trying to do here what are they claiming it's doing yeah. that's the first thing have a look and see so if you're dealing with sound, you're dealing with waves. Yep. So you're dealing with something that could potentially influence. Well, we know that. How? Because they might use sound to control a crowd. Yeah. They might use, you know, sound over a sustained period of time could cause problems with the ears. You know, it, yeah. it could cause a tinnitus. It could cause lots of issues. So the first question I would ask is, is there evidence that sound could have an impact on the human body? And what's the answer? Of course. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So at least we've got something where there's some evidence. Now you have a look at it and say, well, is this having the effect that they're claiming it's having? We're back to the homeopathy question. They try to explain something in a particular way. It was working, but they were explaining it in a way that now we look at it and say, well, that's a horrible explanation. So instead of saying, well, there's a better explanation, they're saying, well, the whole thing must be rubbish. So we would look at that and say, okay, um, if this could work, and they're saying, well, it's doing this and doing that, I'd have to hear what they're saying yeah. to comment on yeah. that specifically. But the probability is that it's creating some sort of environment within which the body is able to relax. That sounds like a good thing. Okay. Well, so again, might the benefits be for reasons other than what are right. being exp or, or given? Probably. And then I would come back to, again, 
I don't have any personal experience with it, yeah. so I'm not going to go ahead and give an answer based on right. that. And I haven't researched it, yeah. but in all probability, there is a reasonable explanation. Yeah. We do we deal with radio frequency, we deal with light therapy, photobiomodulation, well, sound, light, frequency. Sounds uh, like a concert. I, it does. <laughs> huh? Absolutely. And we they make you feel good, don't so, they? Well, but, and, and the, the beauty so, of what, I, what I'm participating yeah. in is that they're not saying, hey, this is going to cure arthritis. Right. They, I simply go as a relaxer. And what's really interesting is, so it, a lot of times it's, it's Tibetan, uh, what do they call them, bowls and right. gongs yeah. and things. And it's funny because my wife will have a completely different, so they'll be playing something at a, you know, at a certain frequency and they'll be really close to you and they're yeah. doing this frequency. And, and I'm, I'll be lying there and it'll be like agitation. Sure. And I'm like, and then they'll just change the frequency and it's like, ah, oh. and, and it's very interesting on, on those highs and lows and those things. And, and what I find really interesting, you'll be in this dark room because mm-hmm. you just being soft, it's mm-hmm. dark and they're playing, they're doing these things. And then you start seeing colors. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point I was doing one and it was like, there was a, my eyes are closed and it's like, and it's dark and there's like a bright light and then they change frequency and there's no color. I'm going, well, that's really weird. And it's cool, but I, I, it makes me want to then go do some research and say, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. What's and being again, stimulated? I look at that and say to you that in all probability, there isn't enough money or, no. um, you know, sort of inclination to go ahead and get those kinds of research. It'd be fascinating to do some functional yeah. MRIs while the person's doing that. Yeah. But the reality is nobody's <laughs> going to do that. Going Why? To... Because, you know, buy a bunch of bowls and things that you can swing in a dark room. <laughs> it's probably, and unfortunately, that's the reality. Yeah. So again, the way I would answer those kinds of things is let's try and make sense of it. Yeah. If we can make sense of it um, and the person's willing, go ahead and try it. Listen, yeah. I do the light bed therapy that we have. It's photobiomodulation. They've been studying the stuff since the 90s at NASA. I mean, there's lots of good evidence to support what it does. I find it even better when I put on some really, really nice classical music. I lie there. I fall asleep for 15 minutes. I wake up feeling like a million bucks. So you could give... 10 reasons for why well, that's happening. Do you know, yeah. I think that you're, I mean, it was be absolutely beautiful, well-reasoned answer, I have to say, to the question. Uh, it really was. But, and, and I think part of me feels, what does it matter how it yeah. works? Yeah. As I've always said to you, it's not something I feel comfortable to say. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's not something that interests sure. me personally. Like, yeah. everyone has their different lines of things that they're curious about and things that they're interested in. For me, it's just, it's just not within mine. But yeah. as I've always said to you, it's not doing you any harm. It yeah. makes you feel more relaxed so what else do you kind of need to even know it'd be lovely to have the science to justify it but does it really matter it's it's sound it's not doing any harm at this point i would say to you we probably won't have it at our center (laughs) (laughs) because i feel we've got the things that we know but um great he loves it yeah i love it what i'm not doing is foot massage <laughs> I do that every day. No, if no. I could. I, 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 see, and I will not because I've gone for those things, and everyone's. You sit there, and people are getting foot massage, and they're all. I'm. I get agitated. Like I'm Ooh. sitting there, and if there's cars or things, it's like it's like you know. After about ten minutes, it's like okay, you know what? I've had enough. And and yeah. people go, don't you feel relaxed? No, no, yeah. no. I come out and I feel every sound is like magnified. And it's like no, this is not good. Like this is not a pleasant 
feeling at all. And uh, I just think, <laughs> I know it's like crazy, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> who, who doesn't like a foot massage? Yeah, no, don't touch my feet. But not that this is what Ryan does. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't do it. He's very clinical, yeah, very no, medical. No. no, but this but is just, again, just going through and, and just talking about the thinking about what is applied. Yeah. That's the beauty of these things. The principles apply right throughout. They apply to conventional medicine, to complementary mm-hmm. medicine. The question is, can we discern that which is valuable and worth it versus that which might not be. And as a, as a homeopath, that's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, so these things work for us. Let's 100%. see if we can make them work for you. 100%. Ryan Penny, it's been a lot of fun. So nice to be here. Thank you. And yeah. we will, we'll do it. We'll have to do this again. This I'd is, love to. We need to try and persuade your brother. I feel like, maybe we have, maybe like we have to go I won't to get it in a word. He's like, I know he's like an excitable <laughs> puppy and uh, he's a really great guy. And I feel like, I feel like we've got to persuade Sean to come on. Yeah. Hey, I, I will do my best. Tell him it's just a conversation. It's just a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. When he does it, he's great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Jenna. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna.